1: The first time I thought, I'd really like to talk to Dimitri Daskalakis was nearly 10 years ago. I'd read about the work he was doing in the newspaper. A reporter had followed him around at an after-hours gay sex club in New York City called Paddles. It was four in the morning, and he was there to give men meningitis vaccines.
0: That was an exciting, not much sleep time.
1: (laughs) Back then... Bacterial meningitis was tearing through the gay community in New York. A handful of people had died in this outbreak. Dr. Daskalakis didn't have an official role. He was just an attending physician at a public hospital. Regardless, Dr. Dimitri was becoming a familiar face at New York's bathhouses and leather clubs.
0: It started out with me with a backpack and some rapid tests um, that I went in with and did some tests. Found out that 13% of the people that I tested had undiagnosed HIV.
1: Wow. So
0: I'd already kind of been the bathhouse HIV testing doctor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You were that guy.
0: I was that guy. And so we already had this sort of infrastructure, but then, you know, it's one thing to sort of stick someone's finger, and it's another thing to be like, I'm going to give a vaccine in a sex club.
1: After the meningitis outbreak subsided, Dr. Daskalakis went on to lead HIV AIDS prevention for the city health department. Fast forward to today. And his work has taken him all the way up to the White House, which is where he's helping lead the Biden administration's fight against monkeypox. He's the deputy coordinator for the White House response. Like a decade ago, you went where the government couldn't because you had cred. You showed up in a leather jacket. You were fine not wearing a shirt. You got tattoos. Now you are the government.
0: I saw am fine not wearing a shirt.
1: <laughs> I I've seen tattoos. your Instagram. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, I've always lived, like, exactly my authentic life, and that, I think, has been one of the important, like, superpowers that I have in doing public health. I was, you know, incident commander over, like, a big measles outbreak in New York City, where, like, the main community I was interacting with were, like, uh, a very orthodox group of Jews in New York City. And, like, I learned so much, but the same skills that I used to sort of work with the community I was the most familiar with really came in handy in terms of being culturally responsive and sensitive to another universe.
1: If you could tell 2013, Dimitri, that now instead of giving vaccines at a sex club, he was going to be leading the White House response to the next outbreak in his community, like would he believe that you'd be like in a three-piece suit walking into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue?
0: I didn't really have that in my bingo card, to be honest.
1: Today on the show... The Biden administration has gotten plenty of criticism for being slow to respond to monkeypox. Dr. Daskalakis is going to explain why he thinks his radically open approach might be part of turning the tide. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis has been doing a lot of learning in real time about monkeypox. Before this outbreak, he was the director of the Division of HIV Prevention at the Centers for Disease Control. This new role makes sense because this new strain of monkeypox 90% of the time is showing up in one group of people, gay men.
0: It's unprecedented, right? This is not this is not the monkeypox that we were taught about in in infectious disease fellowship, which was like, you know, very specific a zoonotic a disease that passes from animals to humans.
1: That's not really the disease you're looking at right now. No,
0: it's completely different. This this is acting a lot differently, and it's in a completely different social network. And so it really calls upon you know not only sort of the tools in the kit that you have for monkeypox, but also the tools in the kit that you have for uh, uh, infections that are associated with sexual activity and also with the communities that are affected. And so like everyone brushed up, like we all I mean, we have fabulous pox experts. Um, smallpox and monkeypox experts at CDC and they really they were really uh, important to us all getting up to speed. But then you know, everyone had to pivot because this outbreak is unprecedented and the way that was moving in the population was unlike anything that we have learned or seen.
1: Yeah, it's funny because early on in May, the administration really was projecting confidence about their response to monkeypox. There are a few confirmed cases in the U.S., and some countries are imposing 21-day quarantines for people who are infected or even, in some cases, just exposed. Should Americans expect something similar? No, I don't think so. Look, we've had this uh, monkeypox in the larger numbers in the past, number one. Number two, we have vaccines to care for, to take care of it. Number three, uh, thus far, there doesn't seem to be A need for any kind of extra, extra effort beyond what's going on, and I wonder if you, with all of your knowledge of how some things spread in the gay community and the stigma and how that plays into treatment, I wonder if you were maybe a little bit more on edge about where this could go.
0: I feel like at that point I was more grateful that I was involved than on edge because I think we were all sort of working off of the monkeypox playbook of like you know what happens is. You have an exposure, you do vaccination of the exposed folks and it's controlled. And so when we saw that that's not the story here, like the pivot that the response took to sort of reconsider their vaccination strategy, going from like a ring vaccination, so that's like post-exposure.
1: Just vaccinating all the people who are exposed as opposed to a community. Exactly.
0: known, like someone that you know was exposed for sure, you would vaccinate.
1: Ring vaccination, vaccinating an infected person's close contacts, It can stop a virus in its tracks if you work fast. But over the course of June, as pride celebrations played out around the country, it started to become clear that this virus was moving more quickly than public health workers anticipated. Dr. Daskalakis says he got a fuller picture once the epidemiological data started coming in.
0: It took, like, the epidemiology to teach us, like, this was moving a lot differently. And so I think that, again, this is a— a story that is really characterized by a lot of pivots. So every time we learn something new, there was a pivot made to address it. And so I think I think one of the most important pivots though has been, you know, increasing vaccine supply to be able to sort of be, be more broad in terms of the folks that were vaccinating.
1: In the midst of all this, I wonder how you've balanced your role as a queer health warrior and a government official. Like over the summer, there was vigorous debate about whether people like you should be telling the gay community, listen, you should limit partners because while monkeypox is not a quote unquote sexually transmitted disease, it's, it's transmitted by close contact and it's spreading vigorously in this community. Thank you. And I'll now th- turn things over to Dr. Daskalakis. Thank you so much, Dr. Walensky. Uh,
0: Today, I wanted to provide an update on a key element of our response. That's working closely with gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men. It has been a top priority since the earliest days of the outbreak to uh, communicate in plain and direct language about how monkeypox is transmitted and what actions people, specifically men who have sex with men, can take to avoid exposure to this virus.
1: And you kind of took a middle path. You said, I think people should you know, abstain from too many sexual partners, but this isn't a forever thing. And, you know, obviously you have your own kind of cred in the community. Can you talk about balancing all that? Because it seems like a tightrope.
0: It is a tightrope, but the tightrope that I balance every day with HIV. So it's, super. you know, what we know from the story of HIV is that, and this is, again, monkeypox is totally different than HIV, but some of the stories, some of the sort of content is very similar is, that you know, really you need to get folks harm reduction strategies that work for them because I mean there's you know a whole range of humans in terms of what they're going to listen to it's like your folks who are very like conservative sexually you barely need to reach them they're gonna they're gonna be pretty pretty careful folks who are in the middle they're swayable and the folks who are um, having a lot of sex if you're able to even you know address or change your behavior a bit um you're gonna make you're gonna like hit some benefits as the data also increased over time, we also became, I think, stronger about being clear um, that you know that the best strategy right now, while we're waiting for like adequate vaccine supply in the US and folks to be vaccinated, is to reduce multiple partners or one-time partners in anonymous contacts. I'm not sure if you've seen the CDC guidance on safer sex and social gatherings, but it's a pretty frank document that uses language that's pretty clear. And that I think is not sort of the common way that public health has traditionally communicated. To gay, bisexual, and with men who have sex with men, and so that I think is really important.
1: With those guidelines, were you specifically like, I don't want to use straight language here. I don't want to sound like a prude. Like, let's say it like this.
0: That's on brand. <laughs> so we, so I definitely wanted to make sure that the language was really frank.
1: Give me an example, like something you wanted to tweak.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, I feel like you know we used. Know, very clear terminology like so you know we didn't shy away from talking about sex toys and fetish gear and all of the things that we want to make sure that people understand we talked to community we kept getting feedback it was iterative and so I, I often refer back to uh, a document that inspired the safer sex guidance that I put out when I was in New York City Department of Health for COVID um, it it's all inspired by a document that's called, you know, I think it's How to Have Sex During an Epidemic, One Approach. And it was community-driven.
1: How to Have Sex in an Epidemic, One Approach? That was a guide to safe sex that came out in 1983, when HIV-AIDS was spreading all over New York. It was published independently by a group of activists using donations The guide gave information about the virus and recommended its readers use condoms and stick to certain lower risk sex activity.
0: It's a very frank, very clear document. And I remember sort of when we were sort of sitting in the office during COVID saying like, you know, gee, we really need to do this in New York City. We really need to make a document um, that like leads and tells people like strategies to prevent COVID sort of in more intimate encounters. And so we did. And it was really based on that. And so flash forward a monkeypox, and it's like really pulling that idea out of the same toolkit and saying like, public health needs to lead with this because we're going to be able to give people guidance that is correct based on science and not stigmatizing.
1: When we come back, the federal government has faced a lot of criticism over monkeypox. Did this administration really learn its lessons from COVID? I want to talk about where we are now with monkeypox. There's some good news, right? Like the number of monkeypox diagnoses are on the decline as of this month.
0: Yeah. So looking at at monkeypox, we're still seeing cases. We're seeing a deceleration of of new cases. It's not consistent across the country. There are some jurisdictions that are are definitely decelerating and they tend to be the jurisdictions that were earliest in the outbreak.
1: New York, Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, like your New York, Illinois, like your your California. It's like your places where you had the initial sort of outbreaks.
1: But the U.S. has still got a really high case count, right? Like yes. more than twenty thousand cases. And just for context, there are fifty-five thousand cases globally. It's a healthy chunk.
0: Yes. So we're over twenty thousand, and but and what, what we're seeing is that the doubling time of the outbreak is uh, is increasing, which means that it's taking longer to double the number of cases. So it used to be in July, it took eight days to double the cases, and now we're at over 25 days to double the cases.
1: So we're flattening the curve.
0: We're flattening the curve.
1: Can I ask you to do something that's going to be hard for you because I hear the optimism in your voice, but I think you can do it, which is what honest grade would you give to the administration for its monkeypox response so far?
0: I think that I have to give them a solid A. Really?
1: Really?
0: I would, because this is this is an unprecedented... I, I feel like I've worked on this since May, when I was at CDC, and like I saw the urgency with which people were moving with some of the challenges that were just seemingly insurmountable, and I've seen them being overcome.
1: But you started to say they're unprecedented, and I think that's why people have gotten stuck and sometimes angry about the administration's response to monkeypox, because obviously we just had COVID. So people feel like with monkeypox, we've seen some of the same challenges we had with COVID right after, where in the beginning, it was really hard to get a monkeypox test. And then it was really hard to get a monkeypox vaccine. And then when the vaccines were out there, there were long lines and this whole sort of people gaming the digital system. This is what happened in New York City. That's where I am where people had real questions about whether the right people were getting treatment. And so it felt like a retread. And as someone who follows public health closely, I was frustrated. And I can't imagine you weren't.
0: I'll say I've been in a lot of responses. And every response feels like it needs to go faster. And that's always true because it's an emergency. But if you actually look back at this one and look at the speed at which some things happened, it really demonstrates that some of the sort of some of the lessons and strategies from COVID were actually working. So, you know, the time from when the first case happened, a week later, CDC was already talking to commercial labs to get the lab commercialized. Within a month, that lab, those labs were commercialized and available like for doctors to order and other providers to order through routine mechanisms. That's unprecedented. The speed of going from a test that was in a public health lab all the way to commercialization, that's like a direct lesson from COVID. That moves really quickly. Vaccine. So, this is a uh, uh, you know, vaccine that's stored in SNS. So, in the strategic national stockpile, no one imagined using a bioterrorist preventing vaccine as a strategy to uh, address an infection that was moving through close skin to skin contact in the context of sexual activity. And so, the system had to pivot.
1: Well, and I guess I wonder if it gave the administration a false sense of security, like, oh, we got this. This is in the stockpile, so we're good. Oh, gee,
0: I don't. I don't think anyone had a false sense of security. I think from where I sat at CDC, and then now where I sit at the White House, I feel like everyone's aware that the challenges are real, and just I think that the creativity with which those challenges have been addressed has been remarkable, as has the speed.
1: I feel like what you're saying is like COVID response was probably frustrating, but. All those frustrating things may have happened this time, but we got past them faster.
0: So I definitely think that that's probably a great summary. Like COVID, I think, really taught so many lessons. And, and, you know, one of those was like onboarding testing faster. Everyone wants everything to move faster, and they're right. It's an emergency. But I was amazed at the speed with which commercialization of the labs happens so doctors can order it.
1: Can you get the genie back in the bottle? Like, do you think we can eliminate monkeypox at this point or is it too late in the U.S.?
0: I think that we are like on the way to really tight control of this outbreak.
1: That doesn't sound like elimination.
0: Well, because I, my next sentence is uh, that we have to really also focus not only domestically, but also internationally. And that's going to be a really important focus of the work that we're doing, because, you know, I think that you know, there's always the possibility of reintroduction. And, you know, I think definitely thinking about getting the folks at highest risk vaccinated is really important. So I think that, you know, I I would love to shoot for elimination. Um, Today, I'm going to take really tight control.
1: I think the major challenge right now is vaccine distribution. You've talked about it a couple of different times in a couple of different ways. Last month, you and others in the administration made a decision that some saw as controversial, which was to split up the dose of the monkeypox vaccine into five doses and give it slightly differently under the skin as opposed to inside the body. This may be a dumb question, but why can we just not get more vaccine?
0: So that's not a dumb question. It's actually a great question. And it's like, we have. And so it's all about the when and the how. And so No, I think first of all the intradermal strategy, given the size of the data that we have and the very thorough review done by the FDA, like that that strategy is a really important one to expand what we already have on the ground.
1: But this plan has been criticized. Like there was some reporting in the Washington Post. Dan Diamond and some other folks reported that the day after the FDA sort of started exploring this idea of splitting up the doses, the manufacturer called and they were hopping mad, threatening to cut off. All future vaccine orders to the U.S. because they said we don't know how workable this is. That seems bad.
0: Well, I mean, we've reviewed their data thoroughly along with them, and I think one of their issues was around safety. We actually did look at one of their one of the studies using the vaccine virus that's used. That actually, you know, seven thousand people were vaccinated in Germany with uh with the same vector with like great amounts of safety. So I feel like. You know, there's, there's definitely, I think, um, you know, interactions that happen with the company. But ultimately, I think everyone right now is on the, on the same page.
1: Not everyone is on the same page, of course. Earlier this month, infectious disease researchers at Erasmus Medical Center in Norway released data that raised real questions about the plan to shrink vaccine doses. It suggested shots weren't generating many antibodies in people who got them. Dr. Daskalakis says... This new information doesn't really change his thinking. Not yet. That's because this Erasmus study looked at intramuscular injections rather than the intradermal injections his team is recommending.
0: It's kind of like apples and oranges; that we're completely not able to compare it to the intradermal. The next part of this is going to be that we are also going to be conducting vaccine effectiveness work um, across the country. And we're going to be looking at various dosing strategies um, with real-world monkeypox challenge.
1: Well, you'll expose people to monkeypox after giving the vaccine and see what happens?
0: We won't have to expose anyone to monkeypox, so thankfully we won't do that. But uh, people who were vaccinated will be able to follow them to sort of see um, sort of how effective the vaccine is against like real-world monkeypox.
1: Do you feel like part of your challenge as a public health communicator with outbreaks like this is finding a way to reassure people while also acknowledging that What's going to happen over the next six months or year is going to be, by definition, an experiment. So,
0: yeah, I, mean, I think that like, this, is, this is sort of the really important part about like, this communication in any outbreak, which is like what we know today could be different tomorrow. And that, I think, is not just about outbreaks, but about everything that we do, because, you know, we, we move with the science. And so, you know, the science will teach us new things and we've got to be ready to sort of you know, express how the changes are happening.
1: Dimitri Daskalakis, I'm super grateful for your time. Thanks for your work, and thanks for joining the show. Thank you. Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis is the White House National Monkeypox Response Deputy Coordinator. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Del Shad, Madeline Ducharme, and Mary Wilson. We are getting a ton of support right now from Anna Phillips and Jared Downing. We're led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. And I am out of here for the weekend, but stay tuned because tomorrow Lizzie O'Leary is here with What Next TBD. She is going to be talking about the rural communities that are fighting for affordable Internet and the broadband companies they say are standing in their way. Thanks for listening. Catch you Monday.